Morning, guys. Well, uh, hey, this is the excitement of live TV, so you never know what's going to happen. And uh, I just want to give a huge shout out, um, you know, our tech crew, especially Steve Major. There's so much that goes into this. And huge shout out to Steve just for uh, helping us all function. So uh, thanks for everyone who's joining us. Sorry about any of the uh, inconvenience there. Uh, but uh, just a couple announcements before we get into the word this morning. Um, so thank you for those that are continuing to give online. That is really helping us continue to move forward as a church. So thank you guys so much about that. You can go to our website, freestate.church, and click the give link up at the top. So thank you uh, once again. Um, in a couple weeks, in two weeks, we're going to be having a Heartland Joint Worship Service um, uh, and so uh, we're going to be coming together with all of our churches in the heartland, our family of churches, and having a great Sunday worship service together. More information on that. And uh, lastly, I wanted to just mention briefly about the uh, special missions contribution. So this is usually the time of year where we're starting to gear up for special missions. Um, now, this is a really interesting time, uh, and there's a lot kind of up in the air and a lot of uncertainty and, uh, and so over the next couple weeks, we're going to kind of be surveying the different needs in the congregation, in the community, in churches that we support all over the world uh, and worldwide within our fellowship of churches. Uh, and so we're going to be surveying those things and coming up with a game plan of how we can best use uh, the finances that God has blessed some of us with to help those that are in need. And there are certainly a lot of, a lot of uh, needs out there. You know, there's a lot of needs here in the congregation. I know there's a lot of people uh, within our family that uh, may be, uh, you know, struggling financially or there's some uncertainty with the economy. And we want to make sure to pull together as a church and take care of each other. There's also so many needs within our community. We want to try to be able to do what we can here in Lawrence. Uh, and the, the Russian economy you know, it is largely based on oil. And so Russia is, uh, their, their economy is really vulnerable right now. And so uh, we, we want to do what we can to pull together as well as we heard, sounds like almost three quarters of the brothers and sisters in the church in India have lost their jobs. So we want to do whatever we can to pull together and help. But there are so many different needs where we're, we're going to be pulling together to kind of game plan and, uh, and focus on what we can do. Um, so let's, let's just continue to be praying about that and uh, more details on that to come. Um, okay, so today we're going to be closing out our series on the book of Daniel. And I hope you've enjoyed and loved the book of Daniel as much as I have. Uh, I'm actually kind of sad that we're finishing it up. Um, you know, it's, there, there's, there have been so many different powerful lessons that we've learned through the life of Daniel and his friends and through this incredible book. You know, in the first... The first lesson that we've really taken away here from the book of Daniel is stand firm, do not fear, right? We've looked through Daniel. We've seen so many incredible examples of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego standing firm and refusing to bend or compromise on their convictions. And we've been inspired by these stories that we will not compromise, we will not back down, we will not bend, we will not bow down to any other gods even if that means death. And we have faith that God's got this. God is able to rescue us, but even if he does not, we are not going to bow down. 
Even if we're killed at the hand of, of kings or thrown into fiery furnaces or into lion's dens, whatever happens, we are going to stand firm and not be afraid. You know, we've also learned that we have nothing to be afraid because God is sovereign. You know, we've learned through studying out Daniel and these incredible visions just how sovereign God is. And uh, in the 6th century BC, God gave Daniel the ability to understand these incredible visions of what was going to take place for years in the future, hundreds of years yet to come. And it's this incredible message of hope that God is working behind the scenes. God is sovereign. God rules the nations. Babylon is not all-powerful. Persia does not rule. Greece does not rule the nations. Rome is not sovereign. God is sovereign. God is behind the, the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms, and he's working things for his plan. And we, we don't have anything to be afraid because we serve the God that's working behind the scenes and the God who is sovereign. And today, we're going to close out our series on the book of Daniel, I think. Okay, I may change my mind and come back and cover something else next week. We'll see. But uh, we're going to be covering and overviewing chapters 10 through 12 today. So uh, if you want to go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 10, where we'll be this morning, and the title of my sermon is Go Your Way. We'll start off here in Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of this message came to him in a vision. Okay, so this is taking place somewhere around 536, 537 B.C. Now, remember, Daniel was taken captive in 605 B.C., okay? So, uh, assuming he was around the ages of 15 to 20, he's well, well into his 80s, okay? And so, um, let's continue reading here, Daniel chapter 10 starting in verse 2. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Okay, so we know that this vision must have been incredibly intense. It sent, it sent Daniel into three weeks of mourning and ashiness, apparently. Okay, no lotion either. Uh, verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of, uh, of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of multitude. And could this be Jesus, right? There's so much undeniable parallels with the description that we see in Revelation that it leads us to believe Daniel is standing here face to face with Jesus. I, Daniel, was the only one who could see the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking and I listened to him and I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand 
touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So we kind of get, we're getting a glimpse here into a spiritual battle, right, that, that's going on behind the scenes. We see Michael and Gabriel uh, in battle with these different, you know, uh, spiritual kings of these different nations. So it's a really cool glimpse into what might be in this spiritual battle behind the scenes. In verse 15, while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and I was speechless. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision. My Lord, I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Man, so Daniel's walking along, right, with a couple companions. And he receives this incredibly overwhelming vision from what it seems to be Jesus. Right, And this vision took everything out of him. He was left exhausted, without strength. He went into you know, a deep uh, mourning. And then we see that angels, you know, perhaps Gabriel, Michael, or they rushed to him. They're delayed for a bit, but they rushed to him to help strengthen him and explain to him the vision that he was given. And guys, the vision, you know, this vision is recorded in Daniel chapter 11. This vision is a step-by-step -step chronological overview regarding a series of wars between two Greek kingdoms. And guys, it is, you know, it's followed by, uh, you know, some detail about the rule of Antiochus IV, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But guys, these events took place between 315 BC and 160 BC, right? Daniel's being given this vision in around 536 BC. So a few hundred years before any of this even happens. And what we're going to see is the incredible details of this vision are just, I mean, it is mind blowing. And there's no, there's no doubt that skeptics try to attack the book of Daniel, especially because of this vision here that, that we'll see in Daniel chapter 11, because it is so it is so incredibly detailed and accurate hundreds of years before any of these events take place that the only way 
If you're trying to find a reason to not believe that God's word is, is true and inspired and that God is sovereign, the only explanation is that someone else wrote this later on after all these events took place because it's so incredibly detailed. Okay, so I spent a couple hours preparing to walk us through all these details in Daniel chapter 11. And as much as I would love to sit up here for three or four hours and walk through point by point and study out Greek history and, uh, and look at all the parallels or the, uh, the way that it matches up step by step with Daniel 11, as much as I would love to do that, that is probably not the best use of everybody's time this morning, okay? So what I'm going to ask you guys to do is get a book, do some research and some study, read Daniel 11 on your own aside from this, and, and you will be rewarded if you put in that effort. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give the spark note overview of what happens in Daniel chapter 11. Okay, so go and read that after our stream here to kind of, uh, you know, uh, check it out for yourself, but I'll just give um, the spark notes, okay? So Xerxes eventually comes to power in Persia, right? We know Xerxes, if you've watched the movie 300, that's that guy, okay? That's this Xerxes. So he rises to power, and really the only remaining rival of Persia at the time was Greece. And so Xerxes, I mean, he pulls all all of Persia's resources and strength and wealth in an effort to attack Greece, okay? And so, I mean, he, he pulls soldiers from 45 different countries. I mean, he amasses a, a huge army. He creates a bridge. There's a, a little gap. There's a little strait between uh, where, where Asia and Europe are separated. He creates a bridge with ships stacked next to each other so that his army can march across into, into Europe, okay, to attack Greece. Now, this massive attempt to, to defeat Greece ultimately fails, okay, and, and it leads to kind of a shift, a change in the tide in the struggle between the, you know, Greece and Persia, okay? And so then you fast forward, you know, a little over 120 years, uh, and Alexander the Great, we've talked about him. He comes up into power. We see that he just has incredible success for a little over a decade. But then at a very young age, at the peak of his power, he gets sick and he dies. He has just a little baby. There's no heir to uh, take his throne. So his generals, right, they fight over authority and power of, of his empire, but it's too big. So it gets divided into four different Greek dynasties. Okay. Now, one of those generals, his name is Ptolemy, okay, the first. He established one of the more prominent Greek dynasties, the Ptolemaic dynasty, okay? Now, from the Ptolemaic dynasty came one of, you know, Ptolemy's greatest generals, Seleucus, okay? And he raises up and breaks off, and he starts his own uh, dynasty, the Seleucid kingdom, okay? So, just to summarize... You've got the Ptolemaic dynasty and the Seleucid dynasty, all right? Now, is a southern kingdom, and the Seleucid kingdom is the kingdom of the north. If you read, the reason I'm taking the time to explain that is when you go back and read Daniel 11, you will see the king of the north and the king of the south. That's what it is, okay? There are two Greek kingdoms, one in the south, one in the north, and I will now give you the spark notes just don't even try to memorize everything I'm saying. Just let it 
wash over you, okay? Uh, so I'm going to give you the quick spark notes of what takes place basically the first 20 chapters uh, or 20 verses of chapter 11, all right? They fight. They make peace. One sends his daughter in marriage to the other one to kind of create an alliance, all right? That lasts for a little while. The daughter that was sent over is murdered by the half-sister of the husband of that daughter. This creates more fighting, alliance broken. Big brother of the daughter that was sent over wants revenge. Okay, so he attacks. He gets revenge. The other kingdom fights back, but they lose, so they're forced to retreat. But then they, they, they pull together a bigger army, so they come back. They win, kind of. They capture some territories, but then the other one, that doesn't last long. They come back. They regain those territories, okay? So then what do they do? They gain an even bigger army. They come back, and they fight again. Some of the Jews eventually get involved and kind of uh, link up with the north, and the, the north finally has some victory under Antiochus the third, not the fourth, the third, all right? So... In order to secure his victory, he sends his daughter over in marriage to create an alliance. That falls through. That doesn't really last. More fighting. Antiochus kind of goes out in a, in a conquest, but he comes up against Rome. So he's defeated. He's sent home, uh, humiliated, and eventually dies. Okay, so another king raises to power in order to uh, increase the wealth of the empire. He sends out a guy to collect taxes from all of the kingdom. But that guy he sent out to collect those taxes. And then Antiochus IV kind of weasels his way into power. All right. So, like I said, you don't even have to memorize all that or even care about it, but what you do have to realize is all of those little details that I just described between the 300s and the, you know, 170 B.C. were all described back in 536 B.C., a few hundred years before they even happened in incredible detail. But this brings us up to Antiochus IV. Okay, and you know, his kind of full name that he, he went by was Antiochus IV Epiphanes. All right, now that name meant the manifestation of the gods. And uh, there was kind of an ongoing, I don't know, not a joke, but they, they would call him Antiochus which meant madman. It's kind of a play on his name. Um, but guys, remember, Antiochus comes to power in around 175 BC and. What follows in Daniel chapter 11, which you can go ahead and turn over Daniel chapter 11 and verse 29, is kind of a detailed account of Antiochus' rule, including some of the terror that he put God's people through. Okay, and so basically what happens is Antiochus attacks the high priest and he puts his own high priest in position and kind of uses him to gain power over the Jews. Then he decides to attack the south again. He succeeds. Those two kings come together. They make an agreement with each other, but they're both just lying to each other's faces. So they step away and then they just attack each other again. Okay. Uh, and so let's pick up in Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again 
But this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships from the western coastland will oppose him and he will lose heart. And so guys, here's what ends up happening, right? Antiochus goes back out to fight. Rome steps in because they, they, they want to kind of squash this. So Rome step, steps in and defeats him, all right? Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation with flattery. He will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist. Those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a time they will fall by the sword and be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help. And many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. So Antiochus goes out, Rome steps in, defeats him, and he goes home to Jerusalem furious and decides he's going to take his fury and his bitter anger out on the non-conforming Jews. And so Antiochus wants to completely wipe out Jewish culture and everybody to conform to Greek culture. He sends his soldiers to desecrate the temple. He tears down part of the walls of Jerusalem. He outlaws temple sacrifice, Sabbath observance, circumcision punishable by death. He orders everyone to ceremonially worship Greek gods. He has an image of Jupiter hung in the temple. He has his soldiers perform sexual ceremonies on the temple grounds. He sacrifices pigs on the altar to God. He forces Jews to eat pig's flesh. I mean, guys, this was truly one of the most terrible times for God's people. And there are a handful of stories that are actually recorded of some faithful men and women that stood firm and stood their ground under Antiochus's terrible rule. And, and one of those stories that I want to look at today is, is about a martyred mother and her seven sons. You know, during this period of Antiochus's attack on God's people and desecration, there's a story, there's this mother, she had seven sons, and Antiochus had them all arrested and they were brought before him. And they were beaten and they were ordered to worship Greek gods and to eat pig's flesh. But they refused. They stood firm, faithful to God, refusing to compromise in the face of the king's orders, in the face of death. And you just have to wonder if those sons, that mother and her sons, remembered the stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that defied the orders of the king and stood firm and refused to compromise on their faith, refused to back down, regardless of what the outcome was. And Antiochus was furious with their refusal. And so one by one, he had these sons, oldest to youngest, and this took all day. Oldest to youngest, one by one, he brought the sons forward. He ordered them again, but they continued to refuse and one by one, each son was tortured 
in front of their mother. One by one, they were brutally tortured and murdered. Their tongues were cut off. Their hands and feet were cut off one by one. Their hair was ripped out at the hands of mocking Greek soldiers. And after enduring such intense torture in front of their other brothers, their mother, they were thrown onto the surface of basically giant burning hot pans. You know, it's noted the faith of this mother especially. Because it's noted that as each son was brought forth, the mother encouraged her sons to persevere and to remain faithful and to accept death and trust in their God. You know, and it's retold that one of her messages to her sons was this. I mean, so you, you got to imagine her sons being brought forth, maybe even after seeing their brother tortured and murdered, being brought forth and the mother encouraging her sons with these words. I don't know how your life began in my womb. I was not the one who gave you life and breath and put together each part of your body. It was God who did it. God who created the universe, the human race, and all that exists. He is merciful, and he will give you back life and breath again because you love his laws more than you love yourself. And so after six of her sons were brought forth, were ordered to compromise, after they refused, after they were tortured and murdered, her youngest son was brought forth and bribed more than all the others. And Antiochus brought the mother up and asked her to force her son to compromise, to force her son to bow down, to force her son to defile himself by eating this food. And she leaned forward, right, in her own language, and she whispered this to her son, as it's told. My son, have pity on me. Remember that I carried you in my womb for nine months and nursed you. I have taken care of you and looked after all of your needs up to the present day. So I urge you, my child, to look at the sky and the earth. Consider everything you see there and realize that God made it all from nothing, just as he made the human race. So do not be afraid of this butcher. Give up your life willingly and prove yourself worthy of your brothers so that by God's mercy, I may receive you back with them at the resurrection. And so her youngest son stuck his hands out, stood firm, refused the king. He was tortured even worse than the others because Antiochus's rage and fury had grown so much. And this mother, the whole time, encouraging her sons to stand firm and, and defy the king's orders and to serve God and trust God, remained last until she was also murdered. I mean, what an, what an incredibly inspiring yet terrible story. You guys, this 
stories like this, these were the types of sufferings that God's people endured under Antiochus's rule for a few years. There was a, you know, a somewhat successful revolt a few, a few years later, but these were the types of stories that give us insight into the terrible pain and suffering that God's people would have endured during this period. And this also gives us insight to how incredibly encouraging the book of Daniel must have been and these stories and these messages of hope that God is sovereign. This inspiration to not back down. But we also see why Daniel, with this vision, was so troubled. You know, seeing what was going to take place to God's people in the centuries to come, taking all that in at once, right? I mean, it's, it, it left him without strength. It sent, like we saw in chapter 10, it sent him into just a deep mourning. And so we pick up here in Daniel chapter 12. Let's look in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. We can assume Gabriel and Michael, maybe. One of them said to the man clothed in linen of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward the heavens, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all of these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked my Lord, What will the outcome of all this be? Right, So we can assume that, you know, he's looking out and Michael and Gabriel and, and what we assume to be Jesus standing above the waters. And, and in a view of this, just this incredibly terrible vision, they're asking, you know, what is going to be the outcome? And Jesus, he raises his hand signifying an oath before God. And basically what he says is, it's not going to last forever. It's not going to endure forever. But Daniel is still unsure. So Daniel asked, my Lord, what, I, I, I don't, what, what's the outcome of all this going to be? And Daniel is given such a powerful and profound, honestly though, yet frustrating answer. Look in Daniel chapter 12, look in verse 9. Well, we'll start in verse 8 again. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, and the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. If this is Jesus, this is the most Jesus answer ever. Right, Daniel has endured such a challenging life and he has remained faithful through all of it. His life has been put in jeopardy. He's taken away from his home. He hasn't flinched. He hasn't compromised. He hasn't bowed down. He's lived a life of faithfulness in exile. 
And he's at the end of his life. He's seeing these visions. He's been given so many different incredible visions along the way. So much evidence, so many answers, so much certainty of that, you know, God being in control. And at the end of this faithful life, in view of this vision, he asks one question. He's been faithful and trusting God his entire life. He's been given all these answers. And then he asks one question. How's all this going to turn out? And the response is basically, Daniel, you're just going to have to trust me. These words are sealed up. Go your way. You're just going to have to trust that I'm in control. You're going to have to trust in my timing. You're going to have to trust in my sovereignty. You're going to have to trust that I've got this. You're going to have to trust me, Daniel. Go your way. Mind your own business. Faithful people are going to have to endure suffering. And many will be purified and made spotless. And wicked people are going to continue to be wicked. You're just going to have to trust me, Daniel. Go your way. And it's here that we learn one of the most powerful lessons from the book of Daniel. And that's that facts cannot replace faithfulness. Facts cannot replace faithfulness. What I mean by that. Guys, no amount of answers will substitute the necessity of faith and trust in God. We want answers, don't we? We want security. We want a guarantee. We want assurances that everything's going to work out perfectly. God, I want some insurance here. I want, give me something. Prove to me why I should fully put my faith in you. I just need to know I need to know that it's all going to work out perfectly in the end and that I'm going to end up happy. I know you may take me on some crazy loops, but I need something. Give me some security here that everything's going to work out. But guys, facts can't replace the necessity and the need for faithfulness and trust in God. You know, God, when... When is the pain going to be over? When is the stress going to be over? I'm so overwhelmed. When will this challenge be done? When will I have peace? When will this virus, all this stuff be figured out? Right? When, when will my, my job uncertainty be concluded? When will oppressors see the justice that they deserve? When will I get married? When will I have children? When will my prayers be answered? When will my loved ones that I've prayed for and fought for finally become Christians? When will I overcome this struggle? When will my situation get resolved? When will things stop being so hard? We want answers. But guys, here's the reality. We could be given a history book of the future. We could be given so many answers. And you know what the reality is? We would still have so many more questions. And I think what we want are answers. But what we really need is to put our trust and our faith in the sovereign God that we serve. And that's what Daniel's told here. Go your way, Daniel. 
go your way. You're just going to have to trust me. There's no substitute for faithfulness and trust in God. And facts don't replace faithfulness. Guys, what, what a fitting end. What a fitting end to the book of Daniel. A book filled with so many messages of hope and so much detail and evidence that God rules the nation and he is sovereign. He's given so much detail of what's going to come. But you know what it ends by saying? You don't need an answer to your questions. You need to trust me. Go your way. Look at verse 13. Look at the final verse here in the book of Daniel. It says, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Man, what, a, what an incredible message to God's faithful servant. And what an incredible message of hope for us. Go your way. Trust me. Go your way till the end. You've lived a faithful life. Finish strong. And I see your faith. I see your trust in me. And at the end, when you've stood firm, when you've stood your ground, when you've finished the race, you'll rest. I just got to imagine that that rest just seems so peaceful for Daniel. Go your way till the end. And then you'll rest and you will receive your inheritance. Man, such encouragement of what we have to look forward to. Guys, here's the reality. Suffering is going to take place. We're all going to have our Babylons in life. Our, our moments of exile, our Antiochuses, our, our sufferings, whatever they might be. Some of it's a product of our own sin, and some of it's a product of the broken world that we live in. We will face incredible hardship in this life, and especially if you choose to live a life of faithfulness to God. But guys, we've got to go our way till the end. We've got to pull together and endure those hardships and remain faithful through those hardships no matter what, trusting that God is sovereign. And if we endure, if we remain faithful till the end, if we put our trust fully in him, we will rest and we will receive our inheritance. I mean, what, what an incredible ending to this book. What an incredible ending to this book. And guys, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're undergoing hardships right now. Maybe, you have, maybe you're coming out of the other side of some hardships over the last few years. Or maybe you're doing great, but there is certainty of hardships to come. Wherever you're at, I think the charge we learn here as we, as we look at the end of the book of Daniel is go your way. You don't need answers to all of your questions and problems. You need to put your trust and your faith and your hope in the sovereign God that we serve. You
need to stand firm. Do not compromise. Do not back down. Do not give in regardless of the risks or what the consequences might be. Do not give up your faith and do not be afraid. God is sovereign and he rules the nations. The suffering won't endure. Go your way till the end and trust me. I'd like to close here with some of the words of strength that Daniel receives in chapter 10. Because I think they're, they're just such powerful words. And so, I, you know, I'm going to read some of them. In Daniel chapter 10 in verse 12, then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. Let me jump down. You know, while he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of these visions. My Lord, I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, he said, peace. Be strong now. Be strong. Church, let's be strong. Let's stand firm. Let's endure Let's not be afraid and let's go our way till the end until we rest and receive our inheritance. So guys, once again, I hope that the book of Daniel has inspired you the way that it's inspired me and has built your faith in the God that we serve and just how sovereign he is, but has also prepared you for the suffering that we will endure as faithful men and women of God if we so choose to be. It's prepared us to endure the hardships that will come our way and that no matter what, we will not be afraid, we will not compromise, we will not give in, we will not back down. We will stand firm and we have nothing to fear because God is sovereign and we are gonna go our way to the end. As I'd like to close our time in prayer, uh, before we end here today. Father, I, I come before you just, man, I just, uh, you know, as we, as we close the book of Daniel here, there's so much emotion felt through these words. God, as, I, as you read just the intensity of what Daniel was getting insight into what was going to take place for your people and just how terrible it was, how treacherous it was, and how overwhelming that must have been. And you can just see the, you know, after a lifetime of faithfulness, Daniel nearing the end of his life, just so overcome with anguish because of what was going to happen and, and, you know, lacking strength. But God, we see that you strengthen him. You stand him up. You give him the courage he needed to be strong. And God, we need that strength. God, we need you to strengthen us. We need you to give us courage. And God, as we face 
the different challenges in our life, there are so many questions. God, we want so much certainty and guarantee and security that, that if we decide to follow you, everything's going to work out perfectly. And God, I'm so convicted and frustrated, but so inspired by the, by the answer you give Daniel. Just go your way. You're just going to have to trust me. And God, we all the answers in the world, there would we would still have so many questions. And so God, I pray that you strengthen us to put our trust and our faith fully in you and that no matter what comes our way, God, that we would stand firm, that we would not compromise, that we wouldn't back down, we wouldn't bend. God, that we would stand firm till the end, that we would not be afraid, but that we would put our trust in the sovereign God that you are. God, I'm so grateful for examples like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the, the stories that are so inspiring. God, I'm so grateful for how faithful you are, for how sovereign you are. God, strengthen us to go our way till the end. We love you and we need you. It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Hope you have a great day.